Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 to 15, 23, and again chapters 41, verses 1 to 17. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked the Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon." The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the easter wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, 
a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it," Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile." This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for your welcome to be back here at Charlton. Lovely to see.、Uh, Carl and Amy and family, dear friends, who are back also, as we look together at God's word, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. We pray that in it we will see Jesus, and in meeting with Him, we will be changed. We ask it for your glory. Amen. Well, if there is one conclusive lesson that we should learn from the whole story of Joseph in the Bible, it is the lesson that God's purposes are always slower, deeper, and better than we would prefer. Let me just repeat that: that God's purposes are always slower, deeper. And better than we would prefer or choose. Of all the trials that Joseph Faith goes through in his extraordinary life, I'm convinced that the delay and disappointment that he faced at this point, where he got left in jail, was perhaps the hardest for him to deal with positively.、Uh, just remember the story for a few moments. Joseph endures family abuse. An ultimate betrayal as he is sold into slavery. He endures unjust imprisonment on a trumped-up false charge of rape. But surely now God must be answering his prayers for vindication and release from jail, because he interprets the dreams correctly of his illustrious fellow prisoner, the cupbearer,、uh, who is kind of more like the prime minister. Than a wine waiter, this official in Pharaoh's court, logically, that now must be the key to his release. Freedom must be coming soon, as he said in Genesis forty verse fourteen. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. The guy goes back to Pharaoh, and nothing, zip. Presumably, for the next little while, Joseph would hear the steps coming towards the prison, and his heart would thrill with hope. Oh yes, now this guy must have talked to Pharaoh. He's told him my story. I must be better get out of here. 
No. Every footstep brings disappointment as the delay continues. Uh, Genesis 41 verse 1 emphatically says, two full years pass. It's an interesting play on words in English when for Joseph they felt two empty years past. How as Christians do we cope with delay and disappointment? Perhaps you're feeling forgotten by God. Perhaps cherished hopes and dreams do not seem to be happening. You pray and you haven't yet seen the answer. How can you cope with this in a way that builds faith, builds Christ-likeness, and does not erode them? Well, waiting is a problem for all sorts of reasons. Uh, I don't think anybody likes being kept waiting. There might be somebody out there who will bless you if that's you, but it isn't me. I think there's three issues about waiting today from the story of Joseph. Uh, firstly, waiting, it does something to us. Outwardly, nothing is happening. That's the very essence of waiting. But inwardly, there are dynamics going on. Just think of the last time that you were kept waiting, possibly feeling unreasonably kept waiting. How did it feel, to use that question? I remember a couple of times I've been in the emergency department of a hospital uh, waiting for someone to get treatment. And there are different responses. Some people, as they get there, well, at the start, everybody's keen, listening for names to be called out. Eyes are bright and kind of people just waiting to go. And gradually, as time goes on and the number doesn't appear, well, people kind of slump and their eyes glaze over. A few, a small minority, get really angry and they go and harass the nurses and the staff, and you smile inwardly because you think, yeah, you're going to be seen last of all. I remember once I was waiting in an immigration office, a place where I could see my passport waiting for the visa to be put in. And I'd watch the passport queue or pile go down, and I'd see mine get to the top, and just at that point, someone else would bring a whole bunch of other passports and put them on top of it. And something seethed within me at the injustice and the delay. You've probably seen the recent examples in the media of uh, people getting angry while waiting for delayed airlines. We've all seen that. In fact, just this week on Wednesday in the South China Morning Post, there was a headline, China to crack down on misbehaving air passengers. In that article we read, China's civil aviation authorities will clamp down on in-flight passenger misbehavior after a spate of air rage incidents. In a notice on Wednesday on maintaining aviation order and safeguarding air transport, the Civil Aviation Administration of China listed strictly prohibited behavior. It included occupying checking counters, assaulting clerks. Passengers were also prohibited from entering parking aprons or runways without permission, threatening or assaulting crew members, breaking airport facilities and opening emergency gates. See, waiting does something to us. Some people get angry. Waiting, waiting, dealing with delay and disappointment is an essential part of Christian faith. And yes, I do mean essential. If you can't handle this, 
you will not survive or grow as a Christian. Why do I say it's essential? Well, one reason is the whole Joseph story, people of faith in Scripture. Uh, Joseph himself, if you read the whole story, we had some edited highlights today, but if you read the whole story, wonderful phrases come up like, Genesis 40, verse 1, some time later, verse 4, after they had been in custody, some time. And as I said earlier, after two full years had passed, the whole story gives a sense of time passing. And when Pharaoh's dreams are fulfilled, it's seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine before eventually, well, if you know the story, Joseph is going to meet his estranged family. There's another 14 years in there. The same principle at work with Abraham, the pattern of faith, where Abraham had to wait until old age for the birth of the son of the promise. Moses spent most of his life in the wilderness, 40 years of personal exile, when, as the authorized version quaintly puts it, he left Egypt and went to the backside of the wilderness. But then he had 40 years journeying with his people in the wilderness. And in one of the fascinating verses in Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 8, points, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 points out that the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness... Well, we're so that he might teach you to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Forty years for one lesson. Manna today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, all to teach one lesson about depending upon God. Such a teacher would no doubt fail his inspection or her inspection teaching one lesson in 40 years. But that's what God chooses to do. And you can read on through the scriptures. Uh, David, his life at times uh, fleeing under threat of death for months or years. Job longing for his vindication. The psalmist who cries out, how long, O Lord? Now this is deeply countercultural. I'll be fascinated to talk to Carl, my good friend, about how in a digital age, Christian discipleship develops the virtue, virtue of patience and a long obedience in the same direction, as, as Eugene Peterson's book puts it. How in the quick-moving digital world, these can be tools to developing patient discipleship. I remember uh, hearing some statistics about how long people wait for web pages to load before they move on and go away. It used to be, I think, 11 seconds but there's some evidence it's now down to below nine seconds. You know, nothing's worth more than nine seconds to wait for. But how in the growth of a human can we use these things, as I'm sure they will, I'm excited so much about the indigenous project, how can we use them to serve God's purposes of long-term discipleship? Because waiting does something to us. A second thing about waiting is, is that waiting always reveals important things about our relationship with God. How we wait reveals what we think about the person we're waiting for. I mean, hopefully you don't wait for your husband or wife to arrive in the same way as you wait for your income tax bill to arrive. Well, if you do, uh, prayer ministry is available afterwards. No, um, if you do, it, it wouldn't tell you much about, well, it would tell you quite a lot about your relationship with your spouse. 
I mean, there's some people can keep you waiting for ages, and it's okay. Oh, you know. They, other people, they keep us waiting a few minutes, and oh, what are these people doing? I'm not talking about marriage here, but no. No, but it, it reveals how we wait, reveals what we actually think of the person who is keeping us waiting. It applies as Christian people with God. Joseph powerfully witnesses to his trust in God who keeps him waiting. When finally, after the two long years of disappointment of not being got out of prison, since he interpreted that dream for the cupbearer, when the chance arises, he gets his freedom, he shows humility and trust. Pharaoh asks him to reveal the meaning of the dream, and it goes like this. Genesis 41, verse 16. I cannot do it. Nobody says that to Pharaoh. No, oh, sorry, Pharaoh, can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now, if you know the story of Joseph's life, you'll be struck by how different Joseph is here compared to the earlier chapters. Back in Genesis 37, Joseph, the spoiled teenager, is happy to tell anybody all about dreams. Back in Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him the more. So he said, listen to this dream I had. His brother said, do you intend to rule over us? And he says, yeah, he had another dream. He told it to his brothers. He's not quick on the uptake, this boy. Listen, I had another dream, and the sun and the moon and the stars, they were all bowing down to me. He must have been such an annoying teenager. None of that justifies the treatment he received. But contrast that to meeting Pharaoh. Now he says, oh, don't ask me about dreams. But God can give you the answer you desire. Joseph has accepted that God's purposes are what count. God's purposes that are deeper and slower and better than he would like. He has learned true humility through waiting. The world does not revolve around him or Pharaoh, the person who has the power of life and death over him. No, God is the true Lord here. And when the purposes of God, timing is everything. That's why he makes Joseph wait. Imagine if Joseph's prayers for release had been answered straight away when the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh. He's out of prison, he's gone. That's the end of story. But now everything comes together. The memory lapse of the cupbearer, the delay, Pharaoh's dreams, the impending famine, and now Joseph, the one who God had sent ahead for such a time as this, it all comes together. How many of us give up on God because we are impatience, impatient? Impatience reveals that fundamentally we either don't trust God to, to know best or to do best in our lives. Uh, some years ago, I remember I was delayed at uh, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam. I'd come back from a long flight from the UK, eventually going back 
uh, a long flight from the US and heading back to the UK to Newcastle and we're in delayed in the snow in Skipball and there was a group of tired grumpy passengers and I was among the tiredest and grumpiest and it's a big airport Skipball and we say oh your gate has been changed to gate X so we'd go there oh your gate has been changed to gate Y so we'd go there your gate has been changed back to gate X (laughs) At which point we're saying, these people don't even know what they're doing. We didn't trust that the people in charge really knew what was going on or what was best for us. Do you ever feel that about God when he makes you wait? I'm always impressed by the way Old Testament characters demonstrate faith because in many ways they had so little to go on. They had glimpses of God and revelations to how he works. And we have infinitely more in the person of Christ. Because he, above all else, assures us that God's purposes are slower and deeper and better and worth waiting for. If Joseph can wait for God's vindication, why can't I? It was Abraham, that great pattern of biblical faith, who trusts God for a son, but sometimes struggles to trust God with his own life and his wife's life, But he gets the praise in Scripture that no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Romans 4.20 Patient faith runs contrary to our natural temperament and the 21st century culture. In the whole story, Joseph excels because he came to accept that God has a plan for his life and the circumstances of his life will fulfill that plan and he gave himself to using whatever circumstances he found himself in for the glory of God. All too often, we are more concerned to tell God what our circumstances ought to be and how our problems should be solved according to our timetable and yet God will not work according to our timetable. Because his purposes are always slower and deeper and better than we would prefer. We need to live in such a way that we demonstrate that to a watching world. When difficult periods unfold or we find ourselves in in a waiting period, instead of asking, why is this? we can ask ourselves, how can we bring honor and glory to God through our patient faith? Because waiting always does something to us. Uh, Waiting always reveals important things about our relationship with God. And, And lastly, we learn patience by waiting for things. It's how it is. Lord, I want you to give me patience right now. Generally, God does not zap us with patience. His usual way of giving us patience is to make us wait for things. That's how we learn it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. At least patience faithfulness and self-control we learn at least in part by waiting for things 
Now, I'm a brave man preaching on patience today. My wife in the congregation, uh, yeah. if she wasn't here, I could probably fake it. You know? But I am one of the most impatient persons I know. It is a long and painful lesson. Example, uh, when I was a child, my father, had a, we had a little, very little plot of land by the, the house, and he'd plant things, vegetables or flowers, and I would go out along behind him afterwards, pulling them up to see if they'd grown. That's just a little insight into my world. The process of Christian growth does have sudden leaps and quantum changes or whatever, but underlying all that, there is the long-term process of slow vegetable growth. The kind of growth that takes time, that involves seasons. I had a fascinating picture we heard in chapter 40 of, again, of Joseph when the cupbearer had his dream. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, it says in Genesis 40, verse 6, he saw that they, the cupbearer and the baker, were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. I think we see in those verses a genuine concern for others. What's wrong? Then the place of God, at least acknowledging that any gift he has, it's just a gift from God. It's not the chatty teenager, oh yeah, dreams, bring them on, I know all about them. No, there is a proper, patient faith and humility. Gone is that chatty, irritating teenager from chapter 37 who's a careless and self-centered remarks provoked all around him. Tell me, tell me your dreams. Joseph has grown. He has learned patience and maturity by waiting for God's purposes to mature in his life. And that's one of the hardest dynamics of real faith. The tension that there is more. We are no longer what we were. We're not yet what we shall be. The Spirit of God is moving us on. Uh, you have a vision, and yet not there yet. And the easy thing to do is just to give up. Say, oh, forget it, because your stress levels come down immediately. To give up praying or seeking for that person, it makes life so much easier. But if you have a vision to see God act, then the tension is there. To always see more than we have yet seen fulfilled. And we have to live with the tension and accept God's providence and timetable. And that tension is inherent to Christian faith. Resignation to just how things are is not a Christian option. Just hanging around, you know, doing nothing, that's not Christian patience. No, it's living with the dissatisfaction in the present and hope for the future. One of my favorite examples of this was, uh, I can't remember the name of the rooster that appeared in that old film Babe from many years ago. Ferdinand, was it? It was a rooster. And he wanted to be, uh, he wanted to be a duck. And uh, they kept saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, and, and, the, and the motto was, the way things are, are the way things are. And he replied at one point, the way things are sucks. And there's got to be an element of that for all Christian people. Because you look at this world, and I hope we all say the way things are sucks. We may be relatively comfortable and okay, 
But vast swathes of our world, people are in desperate situations. And there's always an element of tension with Christians, not just to accept the status quo, but that in God's good and slow purposes, this will be resolved. So waiting does something to us. Waiting always reveals important things about our relationship with God, and we learn patience by waiting. Looking at the story of Joseph overall, it is right to see Joseph as a type of Christ, the innocent man who, through his suffering, will bring reconciliation to his family and life to the world. Ultimately, the whole life story of Joseph demonstrates the terrible truth of Romans 8.28 that I'm sure you're familiar with, that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things? Really? Disasters? Delays? Disappointments that we all face? Really? God working for good? Yes. All these things are an invitation to exercise truly biblical, patient faith. And for me, as I read the Bible... The nice thing is, is that the Bible doesn't just tell us that. Joseph's story embodies this truth for us. We can see it and we can learn from it in him. Let me pray for us all. Father, we thank you that you speak to us through stories. And we thank you for the story of Joseph. Father, we pray for any one of us today <coughs> who is struggling to sustain a patient faith, whether in time of sadness or darkness or disappointment. Father, we pray that you will, will stir faith within us that starts with uh, loving you for your great love for us and trusts your hand of providence even when your ways are not yet clear. Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.